It is good to be with you today, and I'm glad that we have the opportunity and the ability to worship God together. I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you haven't already. That's the passage that we're going to be studying together today. All of those who love truth are troubled by error. What I mean by that is that when we see error, when we see wickedness, when we see lying and cheating and all sorts of injustice around us, it really bothers us and we have a desire to try and and deal with it in some way. That's normal, that's natural. The Bible says that we live in a world that lies in wickedness in 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 19. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 that this world is ruled by the prince of the power of the air. It is a wicked world and that is to be sure, but the wickedness of this world is not unique to any one generation. It's not unique to ours. Every generation of God's people have lived in a world surrounded by evil. So how can we deal with it? How can we attack it? How can we overcome it? I want you to look with me in 1 Timothy chapter 4 this morning because what we have in this chapter is one very effective way in which we can deal with error and with sin and with the wickedness that surrounds us in this world. And that way or that method has to do with looking to our own spiritual growth and development and maturity. The Apostle Paul makes clear in the book of 1 Timothy that there was error going on in Ephesus and it was Timothy's job to deal with it. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 3 and 4, for example, Paul told Timothy that I left you in in Ephesus so that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. He talks about verse 4 how people are giving heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause strife and and disputes instead of godly edifying. The point of it or the idea of it is that we have folks that were trying to put periods where or put question marks rather where God had put periods. Those who were trying to left undone the things that God had done. Those who thought that they knew something and spoke as if they knew something, but in reality do absolutely nothing. And they were causing problems. They were not helping. They were causing harm. And so Paul told Timothy, I left you in Ephesus to deal with that. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, Paul speaks again. He says, the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some are going to depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy and having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So he describes the problem in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. He repeats the problem in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. But in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 16, he looks at Timothy and he says, Now here is what you need to do in order to deal with this problem. Verse 6 to 16 is divided into basically two parts. First, in verses 6 to 10, there is a command to Timothy to not get caught up in the godless myths of the false teachers but rather to exercise himself to godliness. And then second, in verses 11 to 16, Paul instructs Timothy to exemplify the principles of godliness so that in being a good example of what God intends for a Christian to be, he might help his brethren to grow as well. 
Now, we're not going to look at these two sections independently this morning. We're going to look at them all together. And what I want us to notice as we survey these passages is the what, the why, and the how of spiritual growth. Keeping in mind that everything written in verse 6 through verse 16 stands in contrast to what's written in verse 1 to 5. So in verse 1 to 5, we have error and we have the problem and we have those who are teaching error and causing the problem. And then in verse 6 to 16, we have Timothy's responsibility in relationship or in light of the problem in verses 1 to 5. So let's look at the what. There are four things that the Apostle Paul tells Timothy to do. First of all, Timothy is to feed. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 6. He says, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, notice, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine. Look at the word nourished. The meaning of that word is literally to rear or to bring up, and it has to do with practical instruction. Look at verse 13. Paul says, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Timothy is to give attention to these things. To give attention means literally to devote or to occupy oneself to something. Look at verse 15. He says, meditate on these things Give yourself entirely to them. Literally, the idea is total commitment. So Timothy, 1 Timothy 4 verse 6, is to be nourished, that is to be reared or to be brought up. It involves practical instruction. It's the idea of feasting upon the word of God because that's which call, that is what causes us to grow according to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. Timothy, according to 1 Timothy 6 and verse 13, is to give attention to these things. That is, he is to devote himself. He is to completely occupy himself with the activity of spiritual growth, and he is to be completely and totally committed to it. 1 Timothy chapter 6, excuse me, chapter 4 and verse 15. Feed, be nourished. Allow yourself to feast and give yourself entirely to the process of growing as a child of God. This implies at least two things. Number one, it implies recognition of the need. We all recognize our need to grow and to be nourished physically because our stomachs become empty and our body begins to tell us, I want food. We recognize the need to be nourished. Spiritually speaking, when Paul tells Timothy, you need to be feeding, you need to be feasting, it implies you've got to recognize the need for it. Second, it implies devotion to that need. When Paul says to give attention to these things or to give yourself entirely to them, he is not describing some sort of effort that is half-hearted. But rather what he's saying is that when you recognize the need to grow and to mature, you've got to devote yourself entirely and completely to that need. Growing as a Christian doesn't happen by accident. So that means that I have to ask myself the question, do I, number one, recognize the need for my own growth and maturity as a child of God? And number two, am I giving the attention and the effort that is necessary in order to grow? That's the first thing. Here's the second. Under the what, we are told, feed, be nourished. Number two, we are told, reject. 
Look at verse 7. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself rather to godliness. Those things that are described as being profane are literally those things that are godless. This is connected to what Paul said in chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, and also to what he said in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He is talking about that endless ongoing speculation, the practice of, again, putting a question mark where God has put a period, or trying to undo the things that God has done, or trying to investigate and to say things that make me sound smart, like I know what I'm talking about, but in reality, they are completely away from the truth of God's word. Paul tells Timothy, reject these things, which literally means have nothing to do with them at all. So by way of application, what that tells me is that if I'm going to be growing and maturing as a Christian, I have to, number one, recognize those things which are going to hinder my spiritual growth. Paul talked about this in Philippians chapter 3 as well. In the first few verses, he talked about those who were uh, Judaizers and how they were dogs and evil workers. And he says, you need to beware of them. And the point is that he's trying to drive home is that you've got to watch out for those things that are going to stand in the way of the goal and are going to blur your focus and distract you from doing what you need to be doing. Same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. I have to recognize those things which are going to threaten and challenge my growth and maturity as a child of God and pay no attention to them, have nothing to do with them, reject them and turn away from them. But that's not the only thing that this passage says. We are to feed, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, verse 13, verse 15. We are to reject 1 Timothy 4 and verse 7, but we are also to exercise. He says in verse 7, reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself rather unto godliness. The word exercise, as you may be aware, is a word in the Greek New Testament that has to do with physical training. It's strenuous training. It's the idea of showing discipline in your godliness. Brothers and sisters, there is no increase without effort. Just as physically speaking, there is no way for me to grow in my strength without putting forth some sort of effort in exercise and training, so that truth applies spiritually as well. I will never be able to mature in the faith and be the child of God that God wants me to be without applying some intense efforts. Exercise yourself unto godliness, he says. Number four, exemplify. Verse 12 and verse 14. Timothy, I want you to feed. I want you to feast. I want you to recognize the need for growth. Verse 6 and verse 13 and verse 15. I want you to reject those things that will stand in the way, verse 7, and exercise yourself unto godliness, also verse 7, and I want you to be a model which others may imitate. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12, let no man despise your youth but be an example. Literally, it is to be a pattern. Peter will use the same word about our Lord in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 21 where he says that Jesus suffered and left us an example so that we should follow in his footsteps. It's the idea of an underwriter. You remember whenever you were learning how to write in kindergarten, teacher would give you a sheet of paper, and at the top of that sheet of paper, you would have a perfect capital letter A. 
And your job was then to write capital letter A's over and over again until your capital letter A matched the perfect model at the top of the page. That's the idea of the word. So Jesus is our pattern or our underwriter, 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. Our lives are to look like his to, the, to whatever degree possible. Timothy is to be a pattern or an underwriter too. Timothy is to exemplify what it is to be a child of God, what it is to show growth and maturity as a Christian. Verse number 16, this is so others will be able to see him and to see his progress. And it results in his salvation and theirs as well. The what of spiritual growth. Feed. Recognize the need. Devote yourself. Make the decision. I want to be who God wants me to be. I can be who who God wants me to be. I will be who God wants me to be. And then there is a second rejection. Rejection of those things that will impede our progress. There's exercise, training, engaging in spiritual training and exercise. And then there's exemplification, being a pattern, being an example for others to see and others to follow. There's the what. Now let's look at the why. Why does all of this matter? Again, four things. Number one, to be a good servant. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister. We use the word minister typically to describe the preacher, but in the Bible, the word minister usually has to do just generally with being a servant. Timothy, here's the reason why spiritual growth and maturity is important, because if you want to be a good servant of Christ Jesus, then it is absolutely necessary. John chapter 12, you remember that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And he did that not because he was trying to institute the ritual of foot washing, but because rather he wanted to be an example. And what he said to the disciples on that occasion is that you ought to follow in my steps and you ought to be as your master. If I have served you in this way, then you ought to serve one another in the same way. The idea or the goal of Christianity is to be conformed to the image of God's Son, Romans chapter 8 and verse number 29. And so the point is that the desire of the servant should be to become more like his master every day. Jesus said in John chapter 8, I always do those things that please the Father. He was without sin. So what that tells me is that as a servant of Jesus Christ, if I can learn to think like Jesus thought, to speak like he spoke, to act like he acted, to love like he loved, to be gracious as he was gracious. If I can learn to whatever degree possible to be exactly like Christ in every way, then I can strive to the same goal, to always do those things that please the Father. The reason why spiritual growth is so important is because the desire of every servant should be to become more like his master. And I cannot be a good servant if I'm not growing. Second, look at verse 8. The reason why this is so important is because it's profit. In verse 8, Paul says, Bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having a promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. What he's saying is that godliness is better in every way because it points to eternal life. 
There's nothing wrong, Paul says, with some exercise. The idea, of course, is to look at those things which are physical, and what he's trying to get him to see is that not everything in this world is wrong in and of itself. He says the same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and uh, verse number 6. And following, he talks about godliness with contentment being great gain. In verse 17 and following, he talks about commanding those who are rich in this world's good not to be high-minded or to trust in uncertain riches, but rather to be willing to give, to be generous, and to be servants with that which they've been blessed. Not everything in this world is wrong in and of itself. That's the point of the first part of the passage. But what Paul wanted Timothy to recognize is that if you really want profit, not growth in this world, not spiritual wealth and riches, not anything that matters only in this world, But if you want a prophet in that world which is to come, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and following, then that's only going to happen by spiritual growth. Number three, to show progress. Spiritual growth is important because we can't be a good servant if we're not striving to be like our master. It is also important because it points to eternal life. It profits more than anything in this world, anything that we could possibly imagine. But number three, it is to show our progress. He says, meditate on these things, verse 15. Give yourself entirely to them so that your progress may be evident to all. You remember in Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 16, Jesus is talking about how to identify wolves in sheep's clothing. And what he says is this, by their fruits you shall know them. The thing about fruit is that it's obvious You go into the grocery store and you walk into the produce section. You pick up a piece of fruit and you have the ability to see it. You can touch it. You can inspect it. You can look at it closely. Christians are to have the fruit of the Spirit produced within them, Galatians chapter 5. Those who are false also produce fruit, according to Matthew chapter 7. And that fruit is obvious. That fruit can be seen. Jesus says that's how you're going to know that they are who they are. That same principle applies to that which is good. You apply all of these things, Paul says, so that your progress, so that your growth will be obvious to all people, so that they can see your fruit and they can say, I can see the change in him or I can see the growth in her. Number four, the reason why spiritual growth is so important is because of salvation, verse 16 Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will both save yourself and those who hear you. Brothers and sisters, there are only two kinds of Christians. There is a dying Christian and there's a living one. There is a shrinking Christian and there's a growing one. Do you remember John 15 verses 1 and following? Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And then he described the Father, and he said that the Father's role is of those branches who are producing fruit to prune them and to cultivate them so that they'll produce more fruit. But to those branches who are producing no fruit, Jesus says, the the Father's role is to cut them off and to cast them into the fire. The reason why spiritual growth is so very important, brothers and sisters, is because a shrinking Christian is a dying Christian, and a growing Christian is a living Christian. And what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 16 is that if salvation is something that we really want to realize in our own lives, then that will only happen by maturing and growing as a child of God. 
the why. Why is spiritual growth so important? Because every servant should strive to be more like his master, to be a good servant. Number two, because godliness is profitable in every way, to profit, verse 8. Number three, to show progress, verse 15. And number four, salvation, verse 16. Now let's look at the how, and the lesson will be yours. There are three things in these verses about how to do it. First of all, look again at verse 6. And notice the word doctrine. He says, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. What Paul is trying to get across to Timothy is that what is most important for him is that he is constantly being fed by the word of God because it is that word, that doctrine, that teaching that will help him to grow and to mature into the person that God wants him to be. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 says that we are to desire the pure or the sincere milk of the word so that we can grow thereby. Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 16, Jeremiah said, Your words were found and I did eat them and they were both the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Ephesians 4 and verse 15 says that it is the truth in love that produces growth and development and maturity. And the fact of the matter is that it is absolutely impossible for any one of us to grow as a child of God unless we dedicate ourselves to a study and a knowledge and an application of the Word of God. We saw that in our class this morning. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 to 11, Paul says, For this cause, since the day we heard of it, we do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. There are five benefits that come from it in verse 10 and verse number 11. It is absolutely impossible for us to be the people God wants us to be if we are not constantly being filled with God's word. Period and end of story. Number two, look at verse 15. There's meditation. Paul said in 1 Timothy 4 and verse number 15, meditate on these things. Look at the word meditate. It literally means to give your mind to them. Reminds us of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the way of the sinner or sits in the seat of the scornful, the psalmist said. But his delight is in the law of God, and in his law he does meditate day and night. He will be like a tree that is planted by the river of water that brings forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does, he'll prosper. Meditation involves two parts. First of all, there is the churning of the information over and over again in your mind. And second, there's looking for ways in which to apply the information. You think about a passage that has to do with being kind to one another. Think about that passage. Memorize that passage. Churn it in your mind over and over again all day long. And then as you're going through your day, actively look for opportunities in which to apply it. To show kindness to another person. To speak kindly to another person. That's what meditation is all about. Growth doesn't happen by accident. It takes planning. And it takes preparation. It's just like making a grocery list or a meal plan before you go to the grocery store. And so when Paul says in 1 Timothy 4 verse 15, meditate on these things. His point is to take everything that he's instructed him, not just in this context, but throughout the entirety of the book, 
to, let, uh, to put his mind toward those things, to direct them toward them, uh, to let those things percolate in his mind over and over again throughout the day and look actively for ways in which he can put them into action. That's how we grow spiritually. Finally, number three, look at verse 12. There's spiritual activity. Let no one despise your youth, he says, but he says, be an example to the believers in word and in conduct and in love and in spirit and in faith and in purity. Not going to take the time to break down all of those different things, but notice the point. Remember in verse number 7 that Paul talked about spiritual exercise, about spiritual training. In verse 12, this has to do with engaging ourselves spiritually. There are all kinds of different avenues which the Bible will illustrate or will describe that have to do with spiritual growth. We could talk about our words, growing in how we use our words. Let your speech always be seasoned with salt. We could talk about growing in our attitude toward one another, being kind and being compassionate and forgiving one another and being tenderhearted. We could talk about our growth in areas as it pertains to things like Bible study or prayer or worship. Whatever the case may be, whatever the avenue is that God's Word describes that pertains to Christian living and and being a spiritual person, what Paul is saying is that you're not ever going to perfect these areas if you don't work on them, if you don't engage yourself in spiritual activity. I'll never be able to grow in prayer if I don't pray. I'll never be able to grow in kindness if I don't try to exercise kindness. I'll never be able to grow in my speech if I'm not actively working on my speech. I'll never be able to grow in worship if I'm not concentrating on trying to be better in worship. Spiritual activity is the idea. So there's the what, there's the why, and the how. The what is simply recognize the need to grow and dedicate yourself to doing it. Make the decision. The why is, well, ultimately salvation. To be a good servant and to have real profit and to show progress, to show growth, to be an example to other people. And the how? By focusing and meditating on God's word and those things that he would have us to do and striving to put them to work in our lives. Like you, sometimes I grow a little bit overwhelmed, even discouraged, when I look at the world and the things that are going on in the world. I recognize that there are a lot of things that are going on in this world that are far beyond my control or yours or anybody else's, only God's control. But I also find comfort and strength in knowing that when we look at a passage like 1 Timothy chapter 4, That Paul says, listen, it's not as if there's nothing you can do. The reality is that there are those who are false, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. The reality is that they're going to cause problems, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. But also the reality is that you can attack it. And one of the ways that you can attack it is by making sure that you are not part of the problem. By making sure instead that you're part of the solution by being the person that God would have you to be by dedicating yourself to being spiritually minded and growing and maturing in the faith. So the only question left to ask this morning is, does that adequately describe us? Does it adequately describe me? 
Can I say in truth and sincerity that I am trying to be the person that God wants me to be? That I recognize the how and I, or the what and I recognize the why and I recognize the how and I have dedicated myself, I have made the decision that I am going to study and learn and grow. Or is that not so much the case? Have I failed in striving to be the person that God would have me to be? The Lord's invitation is extended this morning to all people. Those perhaps who have a need, a desire to become a child of God, to become a Christian. Those who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, John 8 and 24. Who are willing to repent of their sins, Luke 13 and verse 3. And confess their faith, Romans 10 and verse 9 and 10. And be immersed in water for the forgiveness of their sins, Acts 2 and verse 38. If that's you this morning, then we encourage you to do so. And we stand ready and and privileged to help you in obeying the gospel. But also, perhaps it's the case this morning that you are a Christian. That you are a child of God. And as you think about your life, what you've come to recognize is that you are not growing spiritually. You're not being the person that God would have you to be. Make a change. Let us help you if we can. Please come forward and let your need be known while we stand and sing together.